Welcome to the Photography Q&A podcast. Hey, how's it going? I'm Andy Jones and this is episode 46 of the Photography Q&A podcast. This week, I'm going to cover two ways to get professional results. These are two techniques that are going to help you take better photos and put an end to all that second guessing you do when you're looking in uh, your LCD at the back of the camera. And just a heads up, both these techniques need a tripod. So the first question I was asked is, how can I guarantee I can get the right exposure? Now, there's times when you take a photo and when you go to edit it later, it's either under or overexposed. Even though you had your light meter balanced, there's still part of an image that wasn't correctly exposed. It's like too deep in shadows or way overexposed, blown out. So the first piece of advice I'm going to give you is going to be to shoot in RAW. Now, I rant on this a lot, but it really is a game changer. You just get into the habit of doing it and you'll be fine. You shoot in RAW, you can alter everything. Now, if it's really overshadowed or it's really blown out, overexposed, you can't always pull it back. But most of the time you can if it's just off a little bit. So shoot in RAW, then you save them as JPEGs and then everyone's going to be happy and your quality of your work will advance rapidly. Okay, I've got that off my chest. Imagine you had three copies of the same image. One underexposed, one perfectly exposed, and one overexposed. If you had these three images, you could blend them together in Photoshop and you could end up with a perfectly lit image. Well, it is possible, and your camera can take three images at the same time with different exposures, and it is called auto-exposure bracketing, or you'll see it in some of the manuals as AEB. So rather than go through calling it auto-exposure bracketing or AEB, I'm just going to call it bracketing. So when you choose to bracket an image, you're going to pick how far underexposed and how far overexposed the two extra images are going to be. Now the scale is different depending on what model camera you have. Some cameras give eight stops with one third markers in between each stop. Others only two stops like entry level stuff. Uh, my older bodies give me three stops with one third markers in between. They all have the one third markers in between. So when should you use it? So let's say you're taking a photo of a lake with mountains in the background and a heavily treed area over to the right of the frame. Because the sun is coming up over the treed area, the trees are dark and you don't have much detail in them. But the mountains have a little bit too much brightness because you're trying to get the trees a little bit lighter so the mountains end up being a little overexposed. If you set your bracketing meter to one stop, you'll get one image with the lake correctly exposed, one with the mountains correctly exposed, one stop less, and one with the trees correctly exposed at one stop over. Sometimes you're going to need to use more than one stop, but that's something you're going to have to experiment with. It's nothing that I can tell you about here. You'll learn by trying things out. Like There's nothing wrong if you are taking a photograph of a scene like, like I just mentioned. There's nothing wrong with bracketing the image at one stop then do the same thing at two stops. And if two stops was too much, just back it off a third, back it off another third. Just experiment, you'll, you'll get the hang of it. Now, when the camera takes a photo, the first image it takes is the standard exposure. The second one is the underexposure and the last one is the overexposure. So if you're taking a 10 second exposure, say you're doing a landscape and you want 10 seconds or you're doing um, 
a waterfall, something like that. 10 seconds seems a bit long, but if you're doing a 10 second exposure, the three images altogether are going to take 30 seconds. So just plan that into your, into your work. To take the best parts from the three photos, you need to stack them in your editing software. Now I use Photoshop. I stack them and I use the eraser tool to uncover the bits I want and get rid of the, the levels that I don't want. Now this is more suited to uh, a video, so I won't explain anymore, but it is easy. Once you get your head around it, it's very easy to do. So the next technique is focus stacking. Sometimes when you're taking a photo with points of interest in the foreground and the background, you want to get everything in sharp focus, but it's a little bit too much for the depth of field you're using. And whatever you try doesn't work out that, that well. So this technique, focus stacking, is going to help you. Now, this time, let's say there's a, a building in the foreground to the right, a boat at the end of a jetty in the center, and a lighthouse in the background over on the left. Your camera is on a tripod, and you frame the image up. You take your first image with the focus point, the little sensor on your screen, the little marker, some are crosses, some are squares. Your first one is going to be on the building in the foreground to the right. The second, the focus point is going to be on the boat at the end of the jetty in the middle of the image. And then you're going to take a third picture with your focus point on the lighthouse. So now you've got three images of the same scene, but with three different focus points. The editing technique is the same as the bracketing. You stack the photos and you make a composite image of them. You would be amazed how many top quality, and I mean real top quality, landscape photographers that do this. And it works fantastically. So give it a try. Okay, the second week of the photo news. So rather than ranting on about Canon again, this week we're going to cover a little bit of Sony rumors and just a little bit on Nikon. So Sony's top of the range alpha model is the A1. Now it has a 50 megapixel sensor and it costs a cool six and a half thousand dollars just for the body. Six and a half grand. Seems a little high, but apparently it's meant to be very good, but just seems an awful lot of money. The next one down, number two in the Sony lineup, is the Alpha A7R4. Now they call it the IV, like it's Roman numerals, which I don't like Roman numerals. I, like I'd really be into the NFL, but just because Super Bowl is all done in Roman numerals, I can't be bothered with it. Now this body, the A7R4, costs three and a half grand at the moment, 3,500. But it has a 61 megapixel sensor, which is incredible. And it's, it's got lots of bells and whistles. It's a great camera. There is a replacement for this model on the way, and it should be out soon. From what I've heard, they're gonna be calling it the, now this is pretty incredible name, the Sony A7R5 or V, stupid Roman numerals, the A7R5. So that's a big shock. The one thing they look like they're going to be using is a 102 megapixel sensor, which is <laughs> it's going to be a, a big game changer for a lot of people, especially, again, I keep ranting on about landscape photographers and portrait photographers especially. They'll, uh, they'll all be jumping on that one. At the moment, the only option for a body over 100 megapixels is the Fujifilm GFX 100S. Now that is a medium format body that costs $6,000. Again, that's way up there, but it does have a 102 megapixel sensor and it is excellent for landscapes apparently. For the Nikon users out there, the current top of the range image sensor is a 45 megapixel sensor, in mirrorless that is. 
There's talk that Nikon are going to be licensing the Sony A7R4 sensor, which is 61 megapixels, and they're going to be using it in their models. But yeah, they're going to be buying the 61 megapixel sensor, which, yeah, it's good, but it doesn't look good for Nikon. If they're buying Sony's one, two-year-old sensors to put in their top-of-the-range models, where does it place them? Because at the moment, based on sales, Nikon are in the fifth position behind Canon, Sony, Fujifilm, and Olympus. Now, Olympus haven't been around for years. They've, they've just sort of hovered on the outside, and now they're stepping up and they've passed Nikon. Like, Nikon used to be number two behind Canon, which is it's a bit sad, really, to see them go this way, but just bad management, I think, over the years. Anyway, if you're on the lookout for a 100-megapixel camera, the Sony a7R5 is going to be something special. Now, if these advancements keep coming at the rate they're coming, entry-level cameras are going to be 50 megapixels in a couple of years, which is not a bad thing, I guess. Okay, so I'm still doing my photo a day for 2022. Today is day 72. Only 293 more to go. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, you can see all the images on Instagram. Just do a search for hashtag 15mm framework and they'll all be there. I'll put a link in the show notes. Feel free to join the Facebook group. Uh, it's got a little bit of stuff going on at the moment. Uh, this week I found out that one of the members, Ethan Fleming, likes to take photos of waterfalls, and they are very cool-looking waterfalls as well. He has this way of doing it where he uses a slow shot speed, and it's, it looks like cotton candy coming down the waterfall. It's incredible. So get on the Facebook group and have a look at some of his images. It really is a cool effect. Uh, there's a link to the Facebook group in the show notes. If you're thinking of joining, uh, go for it. Okay, that's it for this week. Uh, if you've got any questions, let me know through the Facebook group. And also, there's a link in the show notes if you want to leave a, a voice message. So you can do that too. Uh, okay, that's it for this week. Have a good one. Talk to you next week. Bye.